2: Welcome to today's episode of Conversations with Jeff. Um, you know, as you guys know, we are doing a series right now of talking to each of the contributing authors of Church and State, How the Left Used the Church to Conquer America. Uh, this is a book that we're putting out here with the gatekeepers, and we've gathered a uh a vast Army of authors, including uh, Pastor Greg Locke, Doctor Michael Brown, Denise McAllister, Pastor Kerry Gordon, uh, Mike Spalding, Ken Peters, and then as well as today's guest, uh, we've got Pastor Sam Jones uh, joining us uh, to talk about his chapter. But if you guys would like to order a copy of Church and State, uh, go to gatekeepersonline.com/slash church and state. Uh, you guys can order it there, and then uh, use the code Sam at checkout. And you'll get 10% off of the book as well as a free copy of his ebook, Why I'm Pro Life. So that way you guys get, get a couple of really good resources there. And then also if you guys, uh, want some, some more information on, on cultural Marxism, social justice, check out our other book, Social Injustice. You can get that at the same time as well. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, t- today we've got, uh, Pastor Sam Jones and we're going to be talking about his chapter on pietism. And uh, it's, it's a really fascinating, fascinating topic. Uh, but uh, but Sam, welcome back to Conversations with Jeff. And uh, and also, thanks so much for being a part of this book project.
3: Yeah, well, thank you for asking me to be part of this project. Um, I, I think it's going to be uh, a really enlightening book and um, really helping people to understand exactly how um, the left did infiltrate the church. And um, you'd mentioned that other book, Social Injustice. I think the church and state plays right off of that as Social injustice really deals with the theology behind what's what's going on and and the leftist uh, theology. And and really, when I say leftist theology, I'm not talking about a preference of of left or right, but really worldly theology that has infiltrated the church. Um, But then also uh, church and state kind of tells you it's basically showing you the vehicle as to how it happened. Uh, And I think this is important that we understand this because so many people might realize, hey, social injustice is bad. This is this is wrong. Um, uh, we have to get this out of the church. But then the problem is, is that if they kick it out and then they let it right back in, um, we didn't really fix anything. Uh, and in fact, I'm kind of reminded of uh, the, the parable when Jesus goes and he says, you know, it's like a, a man who has a, a demon in uh, him or an unclean spirit. And the unclean spirit leaves for a time. He goes and cleans up his whole house and then he brings back seven more with him and completely destroys uh, destroys the man's man's life. Um, you know, that's what I'm, I'm afraid, um, has happened in the past, uh, of history, uh, and will happen again if we don't figure out how we got where we are. And that's, uh, really what this book deals with.
2: Yeah. And I, and I think from, from me and, and my perspective as well, like after we came out with social injustice, one of the, one of the biggest responses that I was, one of the most consistent responses I was getting from people is, okay, so I understand the problem, but what do I, what do I do about it? Like, what's, what's actually right. what's actually going on? And I think that this book gives us a better framework to understand how we should be responding uh, to the issue of social justice and cultural Marxism and leftism that's infiltrating the church because now we're beginning to see the strategy that that is being employed in order to conquer the church. And in all reality, it's also a political strategy to conquer the country because I believe the church is the final stand in defending our country. And we're seeing the moral decay. We're seeing, we're seeing literally even this election that we're dealing with right now with the 2020 election. It's kind of do or die for America. And I think for the longest time, the church has been failing in its mission. And to tie it back into your chapter, pietism has kind of paved the way. And it's one of those yeah. things. It's one of those things. I feel like a lot of people in the church, they don't even understand what pietism is, let alone mm-hmm. how it actually helped. To, bring, to usher in the left into the church. So I want to give you a chance right from the get-go, explain to people, what the heck is pietism?
1: Forensic investigations, cybersecurity, and digital forensics. New online sessions start every eight weeks. No application fee or GRE required. Visit stevenson.edu slash online.
3: Yeah, so pietism uh, is when when Christianity becomes privatized uh, or specifically vacates the public sphere. And uh, what we're specifically looking at here in the book Church and State is leaving the the political arena, uh, leaving the political arena. And, and, you know, politics— uh, a lot of times it has a big negative connotation, but the word politics actually um, means the affairs of the people. And so uh, I think that everybody, no matter uh, what they, where they are on the political spectrum, uh, where they are on the theologically correct or incorrect spectrum, um, except for maybe Westboro Baptist, may, maybe uh, excluding them, um, we believe that we should love our neighbor. Now, I think there's uh, quite a bit of differences as, as to what that means um, but if we're going to love our neighbor, we have to care about the affairs of the neighbor, which means we have to be involved in politics because the politics are the affairs of the people, or we could say our neighbor. Um, but if I were going to sum up the word pietism in, in one phrase, uh, that is, is well known today and will kind of help people to really grasp what I'm talking about. It's the phrase separation of church and state.
2: Yeah, and well, it, 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 I and I feel like that's one of those things where that was a leftist talking point for the longest time and I feel like I feel like there were many within the church who were pushing back against uh, against this 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 push to separate Christianity from politics. But there was also mm-hmm. a really big push among a lot of prominent theologians where we were like no, we, we should be separate. We shouldn't be involved. I mean, look, look, at what, look at what happened in history. Look at the Church of England and how corrupt that was when, when Christianity was, was influencing and even controlling that nation and, and, and things along those lines. And so, so dealing with this idea of separation of church and state, what, what did that actually do to evangelicalism?
3: Yes, yeah, so the, the separation of church and state, I think it's important to understand the two sides of it. One is, is a correct side, and the other one is an incorrect side. Uh, the correct side of it is um, exactly what uh, Thomas Jefferson was talking about when he wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptist, and that uh, phrase became coined uh, when he said, thus building a wall of separation. Um, and uh, w- what that's talking about is uh, keeping making sure that there is no state-ran church uh, or a, a state-defined church. Um, religion, or specifically, more specifically, I should say, denomination. Um, and this is important because religion is uh, it is a conviction of the conscience, and so you can't actually force someone to believe something. Uh, and when you look at it that way, that's how we're supposed to have separation of church and state. The other side of it, and this has become the modern side of it, this has become the, the pietistic side of it, this has become what we're talking about, uh, is really— Keeping the Christian viewpoint out of government, <laughs> uh, and, and and that's a that's a major major problem uh, when we go and we we look at this because uh, God's word, of course, correlates um, with reality. We don't have a God that doesn't correlate with reality, uh, but it does correlate with reality. And so, if we want a um, a governmental system uh, that works, it has to actually reflect reality, which means inherently it's going to reflect. God's word.
2: Yeah, and and I, and I think and I think that to to a certain degree right now, I mean, especially it's 2020, the the insanity that's ensued, but I, but I think what we're really seeing is we're seeing the problem of of the church and Christianity not actually being involved in the public sphere. And that that goes for entertainment, it goes for politics, mm-hmm. it goes for the mainstream media, it goes for education. It goes for in almost every instance, we're seeing the results of a godless society. And and I think, and I think that to a certain degree, again, I I always say this, I live in communist California and we have probably one of the most godless state governments in, in the country. And it's, it's insane what's happening out here. But again, this is, this, this I think is a direct result of the Christian church not being directly involved in, in the political process.
3: Right, exactly. And you mentioned a number of other things, too, whether it's entertainment, whether it's education. Um, we, we could go all kinds of places that Christians have, have retreated from. And it's it's interesting because if you look at the statistics now, the statistics from 2019, 48 um, uh, percent of Americans proclaim to be Protestants, uh, which is generally what we think of with evangelical Christians. And so 48 percent, which is by far the the greatest majority, I understand it's not a majority compared to everything else, you know, there's 52% on the other side, uh, so to say, but 23 of that 52% uh, is Catholics. Um, and you go and you look at, uh, of course, everything else now. Uh, and if you look at just Protestants and Catholics, you're, you're pushing towards uh, what we're about 71, 72% uh, in there. And you're looking at that with America. Um, do we, does America represent the values of those who would claim the Bible? Uh, 70% of the time. N- no, not even close. And it's because we've gone and retreated. Now, pietism, where uh, it takes place, and actually even to to a more uh, in- incredible uh, way in statistics, we could see it in the place where modern pietism was given birth through Philip Jacob Spiner uh, in the, the 1600s uh, and early 1700s. Uh, he came up with this idea of basically privatizing Christianity. And of course, uh, just uh, you know, 200 years after that, when pietism was introduced, you've got Germany, and um, Nazism comes in. Now, when Nazism comes in, you'd think that you know a, a, a secular uh, government, I mean, a completely secular government that doesn't believe in God, uh, they're, they're national socialists, of course, Hitler hates God, all these kind of things. you'd think that this is you know, nobody would claim to be a Christian. Well, at that time. Ninety-five percent of Germany were saying that they were Christians. How does that work? Well, it works because they retreated from the public sphere, and this is the danger when we go and we look at this. And uh, you, you can see the different areas. You know, um, we're not in the school system in, in America. You know, take prayer out of school, take these things out of school, um, apologize. Well, nature abhors a vacuum; something goes and fills it. Uh, you can't pray before a football game. Um, with the students or even sometimes student-led prayers. They don't allow, allow that to happen in an extracurricular event. Um, but yet they're going to teach uh, Islam in school, and yet they're going to teach secular humanism in school. Um, there is always something that goes and replaces it. So though we might think that we're retreating out of love to go and to say we're going to be more tolerant towards other people and try to love them to Christ, the reality of it is is that we're just actually retreating instead of confronting a wrong worldview. Uh, And when we're not confronting the wrong worldviews, we're allowing them to, unfortunately, in most cases, walk towards hell.
2: Yeah. and, And the thing is, and you know this, but for people that are watching, like I grew up in a very pietistic you know, household and it was it was, you know, we shouldn't be involved in politics. You just preach the gospel. It's 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 that saying that all all the pastors say, just preach the gospel. Don't worry about politics. And it seems like it's always with an asterisk of unless you believe in socialism. Then it's okay to, to to get involved in politics, but yeah. but but when when you're conservative, if you get involved in the politics, you're worshiping the state over your over God, and I think and I think that this this is one of those problems that that we have of of when you call off the conservatives, but you don't call off the lefties, then again, like you said, it creates this vacuum. Who do you think is going to fill it? It's going to be the evangelical lefties, and that's exactly what we've seen. Um, and, and so can you kind of talk a little bit about, um, you know, s- some of the some of the specifics and, and some of the ways uh, that that the mainstream evangelical church has actually uh, called off the horses and called off the 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 soldiers off the battlefield and created that vacuum?
3: Well, it, it's interesting. And I mean, you would mentioned that we're in 2020. And so 2020, it feels like every day is about three years um, and actually, I would say that this chapter might be slightly outdated already, just because uh, the person I'm about to mention started to maybe repent of this. Uh, I, I would, I, well, I'm not even going to get it, get into that. Uh, uh, of, I don't necessarily believe that the repentance is is totally for the right reasons, um, but the what he's doing is is perhaps good. Uh, And and that's John MacArthur, you know, one of the reasons or one of the greatest places where we've called off the dogs, uh, so to say, from culture where we've we've retreated. Uh, and things like that is from John MacArthur. He literally wrote the book, Why Government Can't Save You, where he goes and he outlines that the American Revolution was was sinful because it was rebellious, because we need to have a limited submission, unless they tell you uh, to government, unless they tell you uh, don't preach the gospel. Well, what if they tell you don't love your neighbor? Are we going to say, well, it, I mean, that that's okay? No, of course not. These are ridiculous things, but. Uh, we go and we look at socialism is stealing from your neighbor or perhaps stealing from you too, uh, but it's stealing from everybody because it doesn't believe in private property. And so you go and you look at that, that's not loving your neighbor. Abortion, killing babies. Uh, if if you believe in, in life, which you should believe in life, before conception, actually, when the case of Jeremiah, uh, God gives us that great insight, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Uh, we We see that. Um, I'm pretty sure that killing somebody is not uh, – killing somebody who's innocent specifically is not loving your neighbor. Uh, we go and we look at all these things. It's, it's ridiculous to think about, but John MacArthur uh, is – has been one of the greatest uh, pushers of this. And I know people are going to be listening to this. They're going to say, yeah, but look at what he's doing now. But the problem is, is that the guy's like 500 years old and he's been teaching this for 499 years. So even though he might be turning and might be getting onto the right page, the problem is, is that his teachings are still there, lingering, leading people astray. And I mean, these other teachings or these teachings are still there, too, uh, being propagated. You could still go and and buy why government can't save you. He hasn't pulled that off the shelves, uh, to my knowledge, and so people could be going in and getting these be re, being retaught wrongly or being taught for the first time wrongly also because they're hearing how great this John MacArthur guy is.
1: Stop the hacks. Stop the attacks. Stop the attacks and start taking your IT career to the next level. The Masters in Cybersecurity from Stevenson University Online can keep you one step ahead of the criminals and one step ahead of career advancement. Complete your online degree in as little as 18 months with convenient and affordable classes. Stevenson University Online, your partner for professional success. Visit stevenson.edu slash cyberwar.
2: HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PREP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County.
3: Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org.
2: You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable.
1: The array of options is so much greater today.
2: U equals you. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County.
3: Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at Uh and, and I'm not here to just completely bash on John MacArthur. That's not the point. But when it comes to pietism, he's pretty much the prince of pietism uh, within the last uh, hundred years of Christianity, the most important pietistic figure uh, in evangelicalism, and so it's important that we do deal with that and correct him, because uh, a lot of why we are where we are in our society today is directly tied to John MacArthur and people who taught like him. People aren't going to like to hear that. I understand uh, he's he's your your celebrity pastor. Read Jeff's chapter, um, but you go and you you look at this. Um, we have to call it out if we're going to go and correct it and figure it out. And a change, Um, it it is a big deal.
2: Yeah, and I I think a lot of times, um, a lot of times, the conservative Christians that are that are kind of coming around and they're like, you know, trying to confront the left and confront the leftist infiltration. They always focus on the Russell Moores and the Al Moores and the you know people like that. Again, I would say that they're on the wrong side, but right. But we can't ignore. Our own side that 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 uh, that paved the way for them to just walk right in, literally unopposed. And, and I think and I think that that's where the, this critique of Pastor MacArthur. Even though I'm thankful that he's seen, that he's challenging Governor Newsom out here in California and he's pushing back against mm-hmm. the government, he's finally talking about protesting. Even though he used to say that that was a sin, but he's coming around. I support him right now. What he's doing right now, but we can't deny the fact that his teachings for his entire ministry have been completely opposite of what he's saying right now which again created this this vacuum and and specifically one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was again one of the things that I grew up learning from him was Romans 13 uh, mm-hmm. and and this is this is one of those things that I think is one of the mis, most misunderstood passages within uh conservative Christianity and it's the claim literally that we just we submit to the government literally no matter what, unless they're explicitly telling us to sin. Right. Is, is that the biblical interpretation of no. this passage?
3: <laughs> no, not at all. Um, it, it, in, I think the, sim, the the simplest way to go and to look at this and understand, and I break it down further uh, in the, the, the chapter than this, but but probably the simplest way to follow this in a, while watching a podcast or listening to a podcast um, is, is to say there, there are, two different interpretations that we could go and look at when we look at Romans 13. And the question is, is, is this prescriptive uh, how it should be, or is this descriptive how it is and uh, of, of a government, and then also how we should respond to a government that's doing what's right? Well, if you go and you just look at the historical context, this is in the book of Romans, Romans 13. This is the church in Rome. The, the period of time is Nero. Um, Nero goes and He's known for taking Christians, uh, putting them, and literally sewing them into uh, dead cow carcasses and going and putting them out before lions and letting lions eat them. Um, These lions uh, would eat so much Christian flesh uh, that they eventually refused to eat because they were so full of it. Um, He had the Roman soldiers. Now, the Roman soldiers, uh, one of the things that they were known for and what gave them such military success was that they would go and uh, they would line up in a zigzag pattern, uh, whereas then most people would go and line up in a straight line, uh, but they would go and break the ranks through the zigzag pattern, and they would have cleats on and a shield and a short, short sword. And so they would go and block and then thrust. Uh, But then as they would go, they would keep marching forward, and those people who were in the front of the lines for the Roman soldiers, they would generally fall down, and then they would be trampled on by their own colleagues and soldiers and crushed to death actually by the Romans, those who were in the front lines. More Romans died from Romans than they did whoever else they were fighting. Um, And I go to say that because uh, these people are like the the hardest of the hard. okay? I mean, they are are tough, mean soldiers who— absolutely uh, obey the commands as much as they can. Well, there are reports that they got so sick of going and murdering innocent Christians at prayer meetings that they eventually threw down their sword. Well, Romans 13 describes the government specifically in verses one through five as those who are God's ministers and those who uh, bear the sword not in vain. So they're bearing the sword rightly. Now, I have to ask the question, does God want the government Uh, to go and to uh, murder innocent Christians. I don't think so, okay? I mean, that goes against everything else in Scripture. I mean, that completely goes, and it is contradictory to everything else in Scripture that God wants Christians to be murdered, that he wants innocent life to be taken. That's absolutely a preposterous, ridiculous statement uh, to go and to make that, that this is what God would want. And would God call wickedness his minister? No, he wouldn't go and do that. And so Romans 13 clearly isn't descriptive of the Roman government, but it's prescriptive of how the Roman government should behave. And then therefore it's prescriptive as how we should behave. So when a government is doing what's right, we should submit to them. But when they're doing what's wrong, we should go and resist uh, uh, them and rebel against them uh, in that sense. And so that's, that's the proper interpretation, I believe, of Romans 13.
2: Yeah, and I think that really twenty twenty was one of those moments that really put this this ideology to the test with with all of the COVID nineteen shutdowns, and and you had a really you know big number of churches, probably I would say the majority of churches in America that did go ahead and submit, and a lot of them were citing. Romans 13 as the reason to not gather together for church, even though I believe, is it Hebrews 10 25 that says to not forsake the gathering together? Uh, so, th- yep. you know, there's, there is still, it's like, they're commanding us not to obey scripture. So th- to me, that, that was a, that was a weird kind of situation. But this really, I think, brought this to the forefront and really pushed people to try to understand what does Romans 13 actually mean? Um, and I know you you guys at your church, you guys never stopped meeting, right?
3: No, we never stopped meeting. I, I was fully anticipated uh, getting thrown in jail, uh, you know, get, getting arrested and things like that. Um, it, it helps. We're small town, smaller church, that, those kind of things definitely um, do help in the sense of not causing um, a, a, you know, a, a MacArthur thing to go on. But, yeah, we, we, we never closed down um, – uh, the, I, I will say the governor knew that we weren't closing down cause I called and left several messages telling her that we weren't po- closing down. Um, but it, you know, I, I, look at this and I, I can't remember what the statistic is. I think it was something like 6% of the churches, maybe it was 7% of the churches, uh, didn't close down. And I, and, and I, I want to thank the, the churches and the pastors that uh, stood up for, for that and what was right. They feared God rather than man, um. But, but you're exactly right Ro, uh romans uh twenty two thousand and twenty um really did go and bring this to the forefront what does Romans thirteen mean and it, it was interesting to see because uh there are a lot of people I think who started to come around uh to this other idea um that Romans thirteen isn't saying a limited submission of the government but it's saying uh that the government should be righteous and we should submit to a righteous government um I had several people who opposed me. Uh, who opposed? Um, funny enough, my my wife she got several uh, random messages on Facebook of you guys need to close down your your church. You know I got called a uh, you know told that I should be um, charged with first degree murder, all kinds of of crazy stuff like that. Um, but then of course as time went on, some of these people kind of came around and they're like, yeah, the government's doing wrong, and yeah, you just have to kind of smile. Uh, realizing that uh, people are coming to the right and, and rejoicing uh, in them getting their doctrine correct, even if they still don't like me.
2: So. <laughs> <laughs> well, OK. OK, so, so, so let, me, let me ask you this then. So, so if, if Romans 13 is not referring to unlimited submission and, and we do actually have the authority to and, and maybe even the scriptural mandate to rebel— how do how do we decide when and where we rebel, or, do, or or are we just picking and choosing which which laws we like and which laws we don't? We're gonna maybe obey, maybe not obey. How how do we figure that out? Because I think that that's one of the biggest arguments from from you know, still the Romans thirteen crowd is. So now you're literally talking about anarchy. Is are we talking about anarchy here?
3: No, no, I, I don't think we're we're talking about anarchy, and I uh, definitely don't think that we're talking about that. I think we have to go back to the standard of of God's word to find out. Um, you know, what's just and what's not just, uh, it, ultimately we have to go and look at what is an objective standard. And of course, I think the Bible is the ultimate objective standard. Uh, Jesus said, Sanct- sanctify them by their, uh, by your word, your word is truth or sanctify them by truth. You, I, I got it right the first time, but, um, anyway, uh, you can go look up John 17:17. 17 as it's, it's getting a little bit late and apparently I can't quote that verse anymore. Um, but it's – we go and we find that God's word is truth, and so justice, of course, must be rooted in truth. We need just laws. Um, Sir William Blackstone, who is the third most quoted person from our founding fathers I, – I don't know if I quoted him in this chapter or not um, – but he, he gives three criteria uh, basically for um, a moral arbiter. Uh, and the, the three criteria is that uh, this moral arbiter um, must be infinitely uh, powerful or all-powerful. Uh, He must be all wise and he must be all good. Well, the God of the Bible fits those three things. He's the only one that fits those three things. And so he is the ultimate moral arbiter uh, of this. And so we go back and we compare every law to the word of God, and and that's where we go and we see, should we obey this or should we not obey this? Uh, Ultimately, either God is our authority or man is our authority.
2: Yeah, and 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 then and then finally dealing with uh dealing with the church and and really the focus on politics, how involved should we be in politics? Cuz again, the accusation oftentimes is is if you're if you're conservative and you're, and you're involved in politics, you're worshiping the state, you're putting your country above the church. How should Christians be viewing our involvement in politics?
3: Right. So so first of all, I, I will say, um, I, I do believe that there is um, different involvement levels. God calls different people to be involved uh, in, in different amounts. So I, I definitely think that there's not just a, a one-size-fits-all, uh, but I, I would say uh, specifically when we consider that Jesus says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, uh, which is an interesting statement, especially when we think of the idea that we live in a constitutional republic which requires our voice in order to be represented— Um, So at the very least, we need to go and be voting um, as as Christians. I believe it's wrong if you don't vote. I believe you're violating rendering unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. But I think that it actually probably is going to uh, require much more because you need to go and uh, specifically speak up for what you're saying. Um, I think that uh, especially as pastors, uh, pastors need to be uh, involved exponentially more in politics um by a requirement their their minimal level of involvement is needs to be much higher uh, than everyone else now of course if you're not a pastor and you're a state legislator you're probably going to be more involved than your pastor uh but so I'm just talking about that minimum uh minimal level um a a pastor has to give direction he has to preach on these things they can't go and shy away uh from the the subjects of today and, and the other thing is is that it can't just be uh, one week out of the year on Sanctity of Life Sunday, um, a, a pastor goes and, and I mean, if your sermons have or excuse me, if your sermons have no um, application, if they're not relevant in the sense of it doesn't apply to someone's life, it's just building a big head of, of knowledge, then you shouldn't have preached it. Um, that's that's the reality of it is that we're not called uh, to to go and to make theological brainiacs. Although we shouldn't be dumb, we should know our Bible. Uh, the reality of it is is that our theology needs to have application, and like I said, politics literally means the affairs of the people. So by definition, your sermons pretty much have to be political, or I don't know why you're preaching them.
2: Yeah, it's very true. You know, and and I think that this this is this is this goes to show the need for a book like this because I think people need to be woken up uh, to to the reality of okay, what's actual biblical truth? Because I feel like for for way too long, people have been getting this passage wrong and then thus completely changing the mission of Christians and and the church as well. So, but yeah, Sam, I, I really appreciate you you know being a part of this, writing the chapter. Uh, you know, not being afraid to actually pro- proclaim the truth boldly in, in this area that is actually quite controversial.
0: Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, Visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC.
3: Yeah, you wouldn't think that uh, speaking out would be controversial, but um, it it seems like it always is. You know, we always complain about we want free speech until somebody talks. Um, <laughs> but uh, thank thank you for letting me be part of this book, and uh, thank you for letting me uh, come on here and talk about this. I, I think this is an uh, an important subject, and uh, we we go and we look at the the church and state. You know, God. God only made a certain number of institutions. You know, he instituted the individual, the family, the church, and civil government. And so uh, talking about two of those main four, um, that's, that's huge. Those are two of the four institutions that God put forth.
2: Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. So, uh, yeah, and, and everybody that's watching, make sure, uh, if you guys want to go ahead and order the book, uh, go to gatekeepersonline.com slash church and state. Use the code SAM at checkout. You get 10% off as well as his ebook, Why I'm Pro Life. Again, just more, some more resources to be able to, to equip you. Um, and, and then, uh, yeah, again, a bunch of great contributing authors. I listed them at the beginning. And then we've got a bunch of other great resources there in the Gatekeeper store as well, uh, including uh, Why I'm Pro-Life by Sam. Uh, you've also got uh, Denise McAllister's book. you got Mike Spaulding's book. You've got Social Injustice. You've got some great resources there. So definitely check those out as well. We're just trying to figure out different ways to get you guys the information that you guys need. So, again, GatekeepersOnline.com slash Church and State. Order your copy today. And we'll catch you guys next time.